The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. My assigned topic, and the topic for the next three weeks, is growing in thanksgiving. And it's the first of two messages this morning that I'll bring this week and next week. And a third message will be brought by John Nowlin on the third week. This week, I want us to see that thankfulness is fitting and fruitful. It's not just a November topic to print on napkins or something. And next week, we'll see that thanklessness is unfitting and regrettable. My aim in this message is that we would behold and be thankful. Now, to get at the subject of thanksgiving, consider these seven questions. Number one, what's so important about thanksgiving? Number two, for what kinds of things should we be thankful? Number three, should we be thankful for affliction? Adversity. Should we? Number four, what good is it to give thanks? Does it make any difference? What are the benefits? I mean, why bother? Number five, is gratitude a feeling or is the brain involved or what? Number six, why don't we practice thanksgiving as we ought? Number seven, if we're not grateful, Is there anything we should be seriously warned about? And I'll reserve that question for next Sunday. So number one, why is the subject of gratefulness so important? What's the big deal? It's important because gratefulness or grumbling or indifference exposes and displays what we think is true about God. What you think about God will come out in whether you are thankful or not. Elizabeth Elliot says, quote, The surest indication of our trust in God is whether we are habitual complainers or habitual praisers. The surest indication, she says, the most reliable litmus test of your trust in God is how thankful are you. Tremper Longman adds, quote, The real difference or the real evidence between a Christian and a non-Christian is that the former Christian gives thanks to God. I was interviewing a woman for membership here at Bethlehem some time ago, and she told me the generalization that she discovered is that before she was a Christian, before she was converted, before she was born again, she could discern who other Christians were by whether they were thankful or not. Wow. How do unbelievers perceive me? Not only does the practice of thankfulness express what we believe is true, but our happiness depends upon it. John Bloom says, quote, Gratitude is both a vital indicator of our soul's health and a powerful defender of our soul's happiness. Want to defend your happiness? Practice thankfulness. You're no doubt aware of C.S. Lewis' famous observation about praise. He says this. It's a long quote, so hang in there with me. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes 
the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. Lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. It's frustrating to have discovered a new author and not to be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in a ditch. Or to hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. The Scotch Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But we know that these are the same thing. Glorifying Him and enjoying Him. Same thing. He continues, Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify Him, God is inviting us to enjoy Him. Closed quotes. Praise completes the enjoyment and thankfulness plays a role in that praise, that completion. Thankfulness is a component of praise. Expressing thankfulness enlarges and completes your delight in the provision and in the provider. Like when I thank Vicki for little household tasks that she may do, it makes me more consciously appreciative of the task and of Vicki. I like her more when I thank her. And... Expressing thankfulness enables others to see and enjoy the provision and the provider. Your thankfulness lets your light shine, as the woman I interviewed reveals. A grateful heart takes pleasure not only in the benefit, but the benefactor, the person who gave the gift. And that's true for the unbeliever who thanks the dungeon warden for bringing him a ladle of water. And it's all the more true for the believer who thanks the capital B benefactor for providing, as our text said, everything. He gives to all life and breath and... Let me try it back here. Life and breath and... Oh, okay, you're out there. Okay, all right. Now note, gratitude is inexhaustible. You, you can't wear it out. You can't use it up. One person's gratitude can never diminish the gratitude of other people. In fact, it works the other way around. It's, in, it's infectious. Gratitude tends to spread, to multiply, and intensify like a contagion. So for example, if I say, thank you for whoever arranged two tubas to be with us this morning. Wow, some of you are nodding your heads thinking, yeah, I'm thankful also for that. Did you know that the Roby family, they travel two hours to be in this orchestra? <laughs> now, since you were thankful for that, I can't be thankful for that? That's not how thankfulness works. It spreads. So sneeze thankfulness all over everybody that you know so that they'll catch it. Now, what is it? What is gratitude? Here's the definition that I'm going to use. It's a divinely given... It comes from God. The ability to give thanks comes from God. It's a divinely given spiritual ability. It's an ability, but it requires a spirit. 
It's a divinely given spiritual ability to see grace. And it's the corresponding desire to affirm that grace and its giver as good. Let me read it again. What is gratitude? It's a divinely given spiritual ability to see grace and the corresponding desire to affirm that grace and its giver as good. So when God enables you to see what's going on, there's a heart alteration that takes place and vice versa. When the heart alteration is taking place, there's an ability to see that is granted to the recipient of that grace. So to do this well, you must be born again. Unbelievers can say thank you. They can. It's called common grace. God can make the sun to rise on them and He can send the rain on the good and on the evil and He can help people say thank you to Grandma for that ugly sweater at Christmas. He can. But to really, from the heart, give thanks for where the, the source of that ugly sweater was, life and breath and everything, to see God requires new birth. Faith in God is necessary in order for secular thanksgiving to not become idolatry. Thankfulness is not just a religious duty. It's not just a task on a list or something nice people do or a simple protocol of good manners to be taught to children or something that we do once a year at Thanksgiving. My aim this morning is not to lay on you another obligation. You've got to give thanks or you're not a good Christian. That is not the point here, and it's not my aim. Rather, thankfulness is this divinely given ability to see that wells up in you as a powerful force, and you can't keep your mouth shut when you're really grateful. Gratefulness will win or lose the war for your future. Therefore, Practicing thankfulness is not optional. That is, practicing thankfulness or not practicing thankfulness will not yield the same outcomes. The practice of thankfulness is pivotal. The well-being of your soul and my soul swivels on whether we will be thankful or not. It's like the hinge of a door opening or closing your life to spiritual maturity and well-being. If you pivot in one direction... It opens up avenues of greater enjoyment in God. And if you pivot in the other direction, the direction of grumbling or anger toward God, it slides you down a chute to impurity, dishonoring your body, dishonorable passions, and a debased mind. Now, where do I get that? I get it from next week's text. So come back next week. Practicing thankfulness is not trivial or inconsequential. Therefore, it's not purely elective. It's like a fork in the road. You come to this fork and you will take one fork or the other, leading either to maturity or immaturity, like a thankless brat who's not grateful for anything. It's a fork in the road between humility and a spirit of entitlement. 
Pastor Stephen helpfully put it this way. Gratitude is one of the metrics of your maturity. Want to measure, find some measurement for whether you're growing in Christ? Ask yourself how grateful you are. It's a fork in the road between sweetness and bitterness. Cranky old spouse, an Ebenezer Scrooge. It's a fork in the road between enlarged faith, trusting God for more, or hardness. We become hardened toward people and we cut them off when we refuse to be thankful for how God is refining us and sanctifying us through those people that bug us to no end. It's a fork in the road, thankfulness is, between beauty and ugliness. Like the thankless white witch who makes things always winter but never Christmas. It's a fork in the road between wisdom and self-delusion. Folly. Here's just a hint of next week's message from Romans 1.21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Would you like to fool yourself into thinking you're wise while becoming a fool? Then don't think. More on this next week. In one sense, a heart of thankfulness is a rudimentary first step in Christian living. But it's a step that never disappears from the believer's repertoire. It's kind of like breathing. When a baby comes out of the birth canal... They're eager to find out, is this baby going to breathe? And sometimes they, they stimulate it to breathe. And when it starts breathing, go, good, it's breathing. But then they don't say, okay, you got that, Master. Check that box. You don't have to breathe anymore. You keep on breathing all of life. And so it is with thankfulness. It's an early part of coming to Christ, being grateful for salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. And that thankfulness doesn't go away. It should continue throughout life. So practicing thankfulness is very important. It's even crucial. And you're not wasting your time by giving it serious attention. God's incalculable generosity to us calls for a response. The childhood prayer, God is great. God is good. For His greatness, He is great. We praise Him. And for His goodness, we thank Him. Question number two, for what kinds of things should we be grateful? Well, the answer from our text was He gives us life and breath and everything. As Ben Catterson said this week, we should be grateful whether we're carving the turkey or getting the diagnosis. One of my colleagues here at the church points out that it feels kind of muddy to use Acts 17 as a key text on the subject of thankfulness since the text doesn't even mention thankfulness or gratitude. So why did you select that text? It's a legitimate observation to ask that question. 
That's being a good Bible student. We could also legitimately ask how the book of Esther can be about the providence of God when the whole book of Esther doesn't even mention God. That's a good question. But we have the rest of the Bible. So what's not explicit in some texts is implicit in those texts, and it's explained in other texts. So when the Acts 17 that you heard this morning says that God gives us life and breath and everything, it doesn't say, well, then you should say thank you for that. But is that a big leap for us to say, I ought to be thankful for everything? Because it came from Him as a gift. Our text, Acts 17, 24 and 25, implies everything that you enjoy is a free gift. And God owes us nothing. He doesn't need our thanks. It says that the, the God who created everything doesn't dwell in tents or tabernacles made by human hands, nor is He served by human hands as though He needs anything. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need our thanks. He doesn't need our worship. He doesn't need our offerings. He doesn't need our fellowship. He doesn't need our praise. He doesn't need our evangelism. He can knock Saul to the ground and strike him blind without our help. But it is entirely fitting and fruitful. That's what I said at the outset. Thanksgiving is fitting and fruitful. It's fitting and fruitful to do evangelism, to give him our praise, to give Him our worship and our obedience and our offerings and our thanks. At Bethlehem, we embrace a historic orthodoxy summed up in the statement that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, on the authority of the Scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone, ultimately. And when Acts 17 teaches us that everything is a provision of God, then salvation is a gift. Grace is a gift. Faith is a gift. Christ crucified is a gift. God Himself is the gift. And we're profoundly grateful. If God is the giver of everything, then we are unavoidably always the recipient. We are on a conveyor belt of receiving from God every second, every fraction of a second. We love what He gives, and we can't pay for it. So what? So we give thanks from our overflow of appreciation. Many of you are doing it right now where you're seated. You are thanking God for your salvation, for the person sitting next to you, for the privilege of hearing this worship team this morning. And our giving thanks doesn't make him any more glorious than he already is, but it magnifies the glory that's there. It gives him honor for the glory that is his. And honor and thanks will be welded together in next week's message, so come back. Now, again, give thanks for what? That's the question. Many of you are familiar with 1 Thessalonians 5.18 that says, In everything give thanks. And many have interpreted that to mean, well, if you're skiing down the hill and you hit a tree and you break a leg... In that situation, you can give thanks that you didn't break the other leg or break your neck. And that's an okay way to think. That's, that's fine. It's, it's legitimate to thank God for stuff that hasn't happened to us. That's fine. You can, you can thank God when you look in the mirror. You don't look like me. Or, or a thousand other things that have not happened to you 
that you can thank God for. That's all legitimate. Unfortunately, many have limited their understanding to the word in, in everything. But should we give thanks for everything? Well, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 isn't the only text in the Bible. We also have Ephesians 5.20, which says, giving thanks always and for everything. Nothing is exempt. The diagnosis that Ben Catterson mentioned. 1 Corinthians 4.7, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Or our text today, he gives to all mankind, all mankind without exception, life, breath, and everything. Even your grateful heart is from him. So question number three, everything really should we be thankful for affliction, for adversity? James wrote, count it all joy, brothers, when you encounter these many trials, knowing that the trying of your faith produces, oh, that's an important word, produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Would you like to be complete, lacking nothing? Trials are the conduit, the route, the path, the road to get there. And that completeness is being like Christ. In this very moment, God is using your current set of circumstances as one link in the unbreakable chain of links forged by His unrelenting love and infinite wisdom to accomplish for you the unspeakably valuable privilege of being conformed to the image of His Son. I'll read it again. In this very moment, God is using your current set of circumstances as one link in the unbreakable chain of links forged by His unrelenting love and infinite wisdom to accomplish for you the unspeakably valuable privilege of being conformed to the image of His Son. Or we could go to Romans 5, verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice. That's related to thanksgiving. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces. There's that word again. God is not wasting our suffering. It's productive. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Or if we jump to Psalm 90, written by Moses, make us glad, that's related to thanksgiving, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. Whoa, we don't like that formula. How much gladness am I going to get? As much affliction as you got. But it's good news, because your affliction is never the end of the story. You got affliction? You know gladness is in the mail. It's coming. The best is always yet to come for believers. Psalm 119, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Now, one of the problems with ingratitude is that it prejudges God before the story is finished before the end is revealed. 
God is not done. He never is. We'll come back to that next week. So, okay, Pastor Sam, but what do I do when this is hard, really hard to give thanks in affliction? Let me give you two things quickly. Number one, ask God for enabling grace, which he promises. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. How much more universal can you get? So ask God for help. Number two, remind yourself of things such as I'm about to mention to you and come back next week and the week after that. So I'll answer that question by going to question number four. If the biblical command is to give thanks always and for everything, are there any benefits in doing so? Yes, let me name a half a dozen. Number one, it magnifies the glory of God who provides everything we need. You were made to reflect the glory of God, and when you give thanks, you do that in some measure. Number two, here's another benefit. People thrive more when they thank more. Would you like to thrive? Be a thankful person. They invest their time, their thought, their speech, and their interpersonal interactions in life-giving ways rather than life-draining ways, like grumbling and complaining, murmuring, feeling slighted, grumbling like an old Scrooge, assuming entitlement. Bah, humbug! Number three benefit. Thankfulness greatly intensifies one of life's most precious capacities. You're, now you're wondering, now what, what am I thinking is one of life's most precious capacities that gets intensified? Well, namely this. The capacity to marvel at the marvelous. If you were early at the prayer meeting this morning in the prayer room at 8.15, Paul Warnock was talking about, he was just marveling at a piece of music that he heard and he was thinking about how certain trees can be carved into certain instruments and how in, in the wilderness there are certain reeds that grow that can make the mouthpiece for bassoons and clarinets and oboes and now uh, you put all that stuff together and you get a composer who can compose well and you put that with certain lyrics and your heart just soars. He was marveling at what many people would just they'd listen to that tune and go on to the next thing. Have another slice of toast, whatever. Marveling may perhaps be our highest pleasure. And the inability to marvel or the unwillingness to marvel at the marvelous could be a sign of deadness. Number four benefit. Gratefulness frees the grateful to be content and not disgruntled. We are a complaining race, and I'm a member of that race. Wouldn't you like to be free of that? Lean into gratitude. Fifth benefit, thankfulness for God's means opens up the ability to see more of his ends and vice versa. For example, in Hebrews 12, 7, when it teaches me that I should endure hardship as discipline, for it is enabling me to share in his holiness. Well, if I want to share in his holiness, that's the end, then I can be thankful for the means, which is discipline. Benefit number six, the giving of thanks 
bears fruit. I said at the beginning that thankfulness is fitting and fruitful. It's productive. We heard the word productive in, in a few of those verses that I read to you. Gratitude creates something that wasn't there before. It produces something. What does it create? Here's your answer. Other virtues. Other virtues are the children of gratitude. Now, you did not arrive on the scene on planet Earth before your mother. Your mother got here before you did. And there are certain virtues that you covet that aren't going to arrive until you get mother on the scene. Thankfulness. Thankfulness precedes many other virtues. When I say that giving of thanks bears fruit, I mean, for example, that thankfulness liberates a person from envy. It is nearly impossible to be thankful and envious at the same time. Now listen to several other pairings that I'm going to give you here. It's almost impossible to be thankful and jealous. Thankful and anxious. Thankful and covetous. Thankful and self-pitying. Thankful and suicidal. Thankful and angry. Thankful and demanding. Thankful and malicious. Thankful and whining. Thankfulness is productive for you. It is liberating for you. It has a mitigating effect on foolish talk and boredom and fear and peer dependency and applause addiction and depression. And it's not because a grateful heart is less seeing. Like there's all this trouble out there and a grateful heart just shuts its eyes and tries to ignore that all that bad stuff is out there. No, a grateful heart is not less seeing. A grateful heart is more seeing. It sees through that difficulty, that adversity, that mess that's out there to the God who has ordained that it be there for our good because he's working all things together for the good of those who love him. A grateful heart sees that, sees through it and sees God at work bringing blessing and pleasures at his right hand forevermore. Counting blessings can reorient, recalibrate the heart. Many of you are familiar with the old song, Count Your Blessings. How many of you are familiar with that song? Okay, all right, it's been a while since we've sung it here, I think. It holds forth some sobering lyrics. Here's the first verse. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, doesn't sound like a happy Pollyanna song about counting your blessings. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking, all is lost. When that happens, count your many blessings. Name them one by one. And it'll surprise you what the Lord has done. Oh, the irony. When you think all is lost, count your blessings. For all is not lost. For the Christian, the best things are never lost. God's promises to you, which are yes and amen in Jesus, are never canceled on account of rain. Question number five. Is gratefulness just some kind of a feeling? Or does it spring from a way of thinking? Do brains and logic matter? Are you wise to reason with yourself? 
even preach to yourself. Well, grateful people behave in a certain way because they think in a certain way. G.K. Chesterton said, I would maintain that thanks are the highest form of thought. You want to think high thoughts, according to G.K. Chesterton? Think thankful thoughts. A mind that is truly clear thinking will always recognize the rightness of gratitude because after all, thanksgiving gives credit where credit is due. How sensible. The universe is right side up when one who does the work is the one who gets the credit. And it's God who gives life and breath and everything. So He always deserves credit. We will never in all eternity complete the list of things for which to be thankful because the list includes everything. I, I could ask you this morning, I could give you an exercise. I could say, okay, now get out some paper. Get out a pad of paper and I want you to make a list. Okay, ready? The list I want you to make, here it is. Make a list of everything. That's what should go on your thankful list. Always. Every subcellular component Every event in history, every particle of dust forming the spectacular mysterious rings around Saturn, everything, from the roof over your head to the calluses under your feet, everything. A person who consistently thanks God, therefore, is being supremely rational. And who in his right mind doesn't want to be rational? It's a sad thing that there are a lot of abnormal people who tell me I seem normal to them. I don't know. That's a... <laughs> Gary Collins, a Christian psychologist, said the core ingredient of mental health is gratitude. The core ingredient. A thankful mind is able to hold on to true hope. Whereas thankfulness looks back on how God has used the past to bring blessings to us, and how nothing in our life has been wasted. God never wastes a thing. Hope looks forward in faith that nothing will be wasted in the future. And as a consequence, thanksgiving brightens one's hopefulness. Every backward glance that marvels at the milestones of God's past provision helps us look forward with more hope for divine provision yet to come. And thankful hearts don't use small measuring cups. Now, I've had this thimble sitting here, and maybe many of you never even noticed that it was there. Some of you wondered, why is that there, and is it going to mean anything? And now I'm about to explain that we can use a small measuring cup. Now, let me give you a Bible verse. Therefore, from Colossians 2, walk in him abounding in thanksgiving. How should we walk? Abounding in thanksgiving. Not a little bit of thanksgiving, but abounding in thanksgiving. So don't measure your thanks with a, a thimble once a year, a little, well, thank you, Lord, for all of your blessings. Um, we don't want to be that way. But measure your thanks to God with ocean-going tankers. <laughs>
I wasn't able to put that blast in the book because I didn't know how to spell it. <laughs> Question number six. No, I'm going to back up. Am I known for thankfulness? Can they see my ship coming from a long way off? Or do they wonder, what, what is that little tiny thing? Number six. If there's so much to be grateful for, why don't we practice thankfulness as we ought? Here's a handful of reasons. Blindness. We just don't see the value in it. We don't see blessings in this life, nor the productivity of naming them. Or another reason we don't, we're just busy. We're preoccupied. You're, you're busy. Kids, you might be busy helping mom with the blender and you don't want to lose a finger. So you're busy paying attention and you're not focusing on thankfulness. Or you're driving your car and you come to the intersection and you don't want to be T-boned, so you're paying attention to the traffic. And that's all legitimate. That's a reason why we, we don't focus on thankfulness in the same way that we don't focus on prayer all the time. Or poor modeling. Maybe there are few examples in your life of people who are thankful and grateful all the time. Wouldn't it be great if Bethlehem was just a sea of thankful people? Good models all over the place. Or another reason we don't do it is we have expectations. I mean, we see so much that isn't as good as it could be, and we point out the the shortcoming between what could be and what is, and we kind of complain about that gap that's there. That's one reason. Or another reason is spiritual deadness. We're not alive to what God is doing around us all the time. And this deadness can not only be a, a lack of gratitude, but a refusal to give thanks when it's drawn to our attention. More on that next week. Another reason is lack of indwelling word, and in two weeks, John Nowland's text will focus on the indwelling word as part of our thankfulness. So whatever you do, give thanks. Now, question seven. What if a person just can't seem to get to the place of gratefulness? What then? Well, it's not pretty, to say the least. It's very sobering. And we'll unpack it more next week. In the meantime, we praise God for his greatness and we thank him for his deeds produced by that greatness. In closing, consider answers to the seven questions I've posed. Number one, why is thankfulness so very important? Well, it gives God the glory he deserves. It's crucial. It's pivotal in our individual lives. Your future depends on it. Oh, the difference it makes. Number two, for what should we be thankful? Well, always and for everything. Number three, does that include affliction? Yes. Affliction and adversity of all kinds because God is working all of it together for the good of those who love Him. In this very moment, He is using your current set of circumstances as one link in the unspeakably and unbreakably strong and long chain of links forged by his unrelenting love and infinite wisdom to accomplish for you the valuable privilege of being conformed to the image of his son. Number four, is gratitude just a feeling? Well, a person who consistently thanks God is being supremely rational. It's the core ingredient of mental health, and it feels good. It's both thinking and feeling. Number five, what good is it to give thanks? 
It glorifies God. It magnifies that glory. And he is named as the one who provides everything we need. Thankful people thrive more. It intensifies your ability to marvel. Gratitude gives birth to other virtues. Question six, why don't we give thanks as we ought? Well, blindness and busyness and bad models, a bashing attitude and spiritual deadness and neglect of the word. Don't allow such obstacles to become excuses. And if we're not grateful, is there anything we should be seriously concerned about? Come back next week. In the meantime, behold the God who gives you life and breath and everything and give heartfelt thanks to him. Behold and be thankful. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.